0: Welcome and thanks for listening to the Harvest Lakeshore Sermon Podcast. For more information about us, visit harvestlakeshore.org. We'll be in Daniel chapter two, verses one through
1: thirteen. And then, in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar. "'Tell the servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation.' The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, "'The word from me is firm. "'If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, "'you shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be in ruins. "'But if you show the dream and its interpretation, "'you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. "'Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation.'" They answered the second time and said, "'Let the king tell his servants the dream, "'and we will show its interpretation.' The king answered and said, "'I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time "'because you see that the word from me is firm. "'If you do not make the dream known to me, "'there is but one sentence for you. "'You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me "'till the times change. "'Therefore, tell me the dream, "'and I shall know that you can show me its interpretation.'" The Chaldeans answered the king and said, there is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. For no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult and no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. Because of this, the king was angry and very furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out And the wise men were about to be killed, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated.
0: Thank you, Sarah. As we continue studying about Daniel, who's in exile, um, I wanted to make you aware there is someone who is in a different land uh, to share the gospel. Uh, Tim Clark and his family uh, were missionaries that were supported by Lakeshore Baptist Church, uh, which used to meet here in this building, and they are in Japan in the Tokyo area, and they were going to launch their church back in April, uh, but a few things happened in the world, and they were actually able to launch with about 15 people this morning. We'll give you some more updates Uh, in the months to come of things that are going on there. I just got some pictures this morning, so we didn't get them on the computer. But I just wanted to take a moment to pray uh, for them as they've launched their church there in Tokyo. Father, I pray that you would fill Tim with your spirit as he proclaims the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ in a land where the ground has been hard for a long time. I pray, Lord, that you would soften the soil there, that you would soften the soil of the hearts uh, that are there, that they would be receptive to the gospel. Thank you, God, that this morning you brought three unbelievers to their very first gathering. So we pray, God, that you would fill them with your spirit, that you'd use them mightily to bring glory to your great name. We ask all this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Well, we'll keep you updated on what's going on with them uh, in the near future. Well, I read a story recently, and as I read it, I thought this could easily have happened in my house at one time. Let me share, you, share with you the story. Mom had just come home from a weekly grocery trip. She came into the house holding the top edge of a full paper grocery sack in one hand and balancing a crying baby in the other arm and urging forward two tired, grouchy preschoolers with her niece. Just as she squeezed through the back door and swung around the kitchen counter, the side of the paper grocery sack ripped. The sack and everything in it crashed to the floor, including a large, economy-sized bottle of liquid dish soap. When the soap bottle hit the linoleum, the lid sprang off and soap glugged out. The mess oozed across the kitchen floor. Next, she put the baby, who was still crying, in the high chair. She told the two small children to jump over the pool of soap. Then she leapt across the puddle to grab a roll of paper towels. But as she got on her knees to sop up the soap, she heard a strange hissing sound coming from the grocery sack. Despite it being ripped, the sack was still sitting half upright on the floor where it had crashed. Mom looked inside to see what was hissing. A two-liter strawberry soda bottle had ruptured inside the bag. The hissing sound was soda escaping from the bottle and rapidly filling the bottom of the paper sack. Mom grabbed the bottle and a few groceries remaining in the sack, threw them in the sink, then slowly, ever so carefully, she lifted the paper sack with its pool of soda and inched toward the sink, and she almost made it. But the bottom fell carbonated strawberry soda and liquid detergent began to swirl together around her feet. The result, strawberry sets. As you can tell, as you would guess, the kids were quite elated. But mom, not so much. Now this is a fun story, and when the bottom falls out of a grocery sack, our response can be in that moment shedding of tears, expressing frustration, but really when you get a mop and you mop up the floor, it's a fun story for later, but not so much when the bottom falls out of your life. When you lose your job, when you fail a test, When you get a report from a physician that is far more discouraging than encouraging. When your spouse says, I'm not sure if I want to be married to you anymore. What do you do when things go horribly wrong? As Christians, we aren't insulated from the crisis of life. They're all around us. We experience life in a fallen world. Crippling disappointments face us and disasters come to us when we don't anticipate they're going to happen. A teenage boy enters a hospital in respiratory distress. The doctor suspects the problem is drug related, but the boy's Christian parents can't believe it. They've never known their son to consume anything stronger than soft drinks. The doctor turns out to be right. A state school board official, a lay leader in his church, is arrested for shoplifting a bottle of wine. The police report says he took the bottle into the restroom where he finished it off. How could he make such a foolish choice? Later reports tell of job pressures, personal medical problems, family tensions, and daughters recently diagnosed with brain tumor. The hidden wine binge is just a desperate attempt to escape it all. A wonderful Christian brother watches helplessly for a year and a half as as his only daughter's marriage disintegrates, then he loses his job, then his daughter is killed in a car accident by a drunk driver. Real events experienced by real Christians. These stories remind us that we need to know what to do when the bottom falls out. And Daniel chapter 2 gives us what to do when the bottom falls out because the bottom was falling out of Daniel's life. As you remember from last week, things seemed to be looking pretty good for Daniel. I mean, at first, he's removed from his land, he's put here in Babylon, and he has to do some things where he trusts God, God delivers him, and he's kind of in this place of influence and authority, and everything kind of seems good. And then we come to this passage, as Sarah just read for us, that King Nebuchadnezzar, he gets a dream, and he he gets this crazy dream, and he wants it to be interpreted, and he goes and he, he says, he gets his wise men, which it, at that time it wasn't Daniel and his friends of the wise men. He got some of the other wise men and said, come and tell me the interpretation of this dream. And they're like, well, well, why don't you just tell us what it is and we'll give you the interpretation. And he's getting more angry and he's like, no, I want you to tell me before I tell you the dream. Don't you be a shyster to me. And they're like, well, we can't do it. And he's like, well, I'm going to kill all of you. Not just you guys in front of me, but all the wise men. And then as we read, Daniel gets word in verse 12. Because of this, the king was angry and very furious and commanded and all the, commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out and the wise men were about to be killed and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. I think it's safe to say the bottom fell out. For Daniel. So this morning, what do we do when the bottom falls out? What do we do? We're going to look at five truths about God that we need to hold dear so when the bottom falls out, we know what to do. Because what we do needs to be rooted in who God is, not just a list of, I'm going to give you the specific things to do if this kind of thing happens to you. But if it's rooted in God, it will help us in any situation. The first truth we need to know is that God is working even when the bottom falls out. God is working. God is working here because right away, Daniel doesn't freak out. In verse 14, it says, then Daniel replied with prudence And discretion. I don't know about you, but when I experience a trial, when something comes upon you, particularly when it's somebody else's fault, I mean, Daniel wasn't even a part of the conversation with Nebuchadnezzar. It's not like he said, you know, I'm not really sure what this dream is all about. And yet he's going to die for what somebody else did. Isn't our Isn't our temptation to do something different than reply with prudence and discretion? Because this happened out of the blue. Listen, Daniel's situation isn't different from ours. In fact, I can't think of too many situations where I've experienced something such as dire. I've not experienced being put to death because of somebody else's mistake or at least the the proposal of that. But Daniel could have done this. Think about it. Remember we learned he, he was made 10 times wiser than the others in Babylon? So if he's 10 times wiser, he could be like, well, I'm gonna use this extra time I've got to, uh, to figure out a solution. He's a man of power. He's been given influence in this land. He had been managing the king's court. He certainly could have, could have used his new business savvy to figure out a solution right? He could have called in a few favors. He could have worked some of the angles. What's your response when the bottom falls out? Do you make a spreadsheet in the back of your head of all the things that you need to do? Do you rehearse the details of what just happened again and again? Do you come up with maybe some, a bunch of different ideas that you kind of put in your back pocket? Like, okay, if something happens, I'm going to use this one. I'll use this one. Do you make a case like a skilled lawyer ready to defend what's going on? I've been guilty of all of those. In fact... Sometimes, and I don't know why this happens, I I think that if I just keep like restating the story, it's going to fix itself. I'm just going to keep rehearsing the details and it's going to stop. Daniel had the same options that we have in crisis. He could have resorted to his intelligence, his power, his resources, but he turns. He turns to God. He requests some time in front of the king. And then he goes, look at verse 17. Then Daniel went to his house and made the manner known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah and his companions. And he told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven. Why did Daniel respond that way? Because he knew God was working. He knew God was working. He knew this event was under the sovereign control of God who had purpose in it all. He didn't focus on the current situation. He remembered not only that what God had done for him but he would have remembered because he was a learned man. He would have remembered what God had done for generations, how God had parted the Red Sea and how God had defeated their enemies and how God had just made his friends and him 10 times wiser than all the other wise men. He knew God was working. Even in the midst of something that was as horrible as his impending death. We need to know God is working. Even when it seems like we're in the midst of the fog, God is working. Daniel didn't have clarity. We can read, and maybe you've already read to the end of this chapter, and you know how it turns out, but at this point in time, Daniel didn't know how it was gonna turn out. Nebuchadnezzar wasn't like the nicest guy. It's not like he had this really wonderful reputation they thought, oh, maybe he'll just sleep it off. There was the reality he was going to die, but he knew God was working. And even as he goes to his friends and he tells them, this is what he tells them in verse 18, and he told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven, because God is where we find mercy when the bottom falls out. God is where we find mercy when the bottom falls out. And he told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in the vision of the night. That's what happened. They sought mercy. We often think of mercy as being, you know, something that happens in, you know, gladiators and the the strong guy beats the weak guy and he's about ready to kill him and that guy just cries out for mercy. But mercy is kindness shown regardless of merit. God said, God God shows us kindness regardless of our merit. That's what Daniel is exhorting his friends and asking them to go to God and ask him to show kindness knowing that we don't we don't deserve it. We're just his servants, but yet let's ask him for that mercy because he extends that mercy. Because that's where we find it when the bottom falls out. He's accessible. He's close. He's caring. How was it that the king who had the world by the tail is afflicted by a dream and can't sleep? And yet this other guy who's from the conquered kingdom, who's probably like 12 years younger than him, he's the one that's making the rash decisions. It's because God was the source of mercy for Daniel. God was the source of mercy for Daniel. Now, certainly, it could have been just as tempting for him as it would be for us. The bottom's fallen out. Does God care about me? Why is this bad stuff always happening to me? What does God want from me? He could have said those things. Maybe you've said those things. But Daniel had to remember when he trusted God, what we learned from the last chapter, and boldly honored God that God delivered him. He knows things like Psalm 46, 1 to 3 that says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. We shouldn't be surprised when affliction comes, when trials come, or when the bottom falls out. We live in a fallen world. All we have to do is read through our Bibles to see that the bottom falls out again and again and again. <clears throat> you remember. We need to remember in those times that God, what God has done for us, how God has delivered us, because in the, it's the same as it was for Daniel, it is for us. God is the source of mercy for us. Yes, God revealed himself first in a vision to Nebuchadnezzar. Then to Daniel. So he reveals to Nebuchadnezzar, then he reveals the interpretation to Daniel. That sounds amazing, but what's more amazing is that God revealed himself to us in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. God took a conquered Hebrew prisoner of war and stood him confidently before the ruler and in the face of his execution, to point us to the fact that God would send his son who would stand before his accusers In the face of execution, only he went and he was executed for us. He was executed for us so that we could go to God for mercy, so that he would express to us the mercy that God pours out upon his children. God is the source of mercy for us because of Christ. So we know this amazing truth in Hebrews 4. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with Confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That's what we do. Daniel was looking to that day of the great day of salvation. Those who have trusted in Christ have experienced that great day of salvation and we can go to the throne of grace where we can find mercy and grace and help when the bottom falls out. And we need to do what Daniel did. We need to recruit our friends to help us to pray. Why is it that we do small groups? Why is it that we gather together? Why is it that we encourage one another? Because we need one another. When the bottom has fallen out in my life, I have been so grateful to fall into the arms of the saints Who've been in my small groups, been in the faith families I've been a part of, to gather with me to pray and to seek God for mercy. We, we don't keep it to ourselves. Daniel, he he was the guy that was given the ability to interpret dreams. He could have been the one, like, I got it, I'm gonna interpret this dream, we're gonna be fine. He interpreted dreams as a gift from the Lord. And he goes and he asks his three friends to pray. Friends, you have brothers and sisters in Christ that are seated here or who are watching from home that you gather with in small groups. When the bottom falls out, cry out to the Lord and you reach out to your brothers and sisters and you cry out to God for mercy together. You're not alone in this. God is where we find mercy when the bottom falls out. Because when we pray, we're acknowledging we have a need. Trials expose the reality that we have a need. We have a need for God. Whether that trial has come as a result of our own mistakes or sin, or that trial has come at the hands of somebody else's sin, or the fact that we live in a fallen world it doesn't matter where it came from. The, the way God uses it is to show us our need and our response is the same. Cry out to God and he's the one who will answer because God is the one who answers prayer. That's the third truth we need to take home with us. God is the one who answers prayer. We're, we're, when the bottom falls out, we are tempted to use the solutions that we can generate. Our society constantly tells us that our efforts make a difference. Work harder. Stay up later. Get up earlier. Put the extra time in that you need to do. We have been lied to, which has caused us to functionally believe that we don't need God. Because what are we capable of really? I mean, when you think about it, What can we change? Can you change the heart of another person? Can you make your life last forever? Can you tear down kingdoms and establish kingdoms? The answer is no. He is capable and willing to deliver. It's not us. We go to him because he's the one that answers prayer. We don't go to him to check off the Christian box that I'm something and God sees us. So, oh, there's a praying Christian over there. I like that. We're going to do something with them. No, when we go, we're going because we see we, there's no place else to go. We realize we don't have it. We can't do it. It won't get done unless we call on someone who can. And in Daniel, as, after Daniel had uh, saw the Lord and God revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night, as we learn in verse 19, Daniel blesses God and he, he's thanking God, but we learn in his, in his prayer Oh, the God that we need to know intimately. Look at your Bibles at verse 20. Daniel answered and said, blessed be the name of God forever and ever. To whom belong wisdom and might. Anyone, anyone need a little extra wisdom? Anyone feel like they need some strength? Those belong to God. Look at verse 21. He changes times and seasons. He removes Kings and sets up Kings. Not just simply, but maybe the manager at your work. He has the power to remove Kings and set up Kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. Oh, how sometimes we just long for that answer. What should we do? What's the truth that we need? He's the one that reveals deep and hidden things. It goes on. He knows what is in the darkness. Maybe some of you are in the darkness right now. And you're stumbling around, you're reaching out, trying to feel for something and you you can't find it and it's a scary place and you don't know what is happening He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. And for us, that reminds us of John chapter one, which talks about Jesus and John one, four and five. In him was life and the life was the light of men and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Even when the darkness seems overwhelming, we know from Psalm 139 that the darkness is as light with him. He's not afraid of the darkness. He's in the midst of the darkness. He knows what's going on in the darkness and he's with you. He's with you and he will deliver. Psalm 91 says, for he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He's the one who can deliver. When we recognize who God is and what he is capable of, we respond differently in times of crisis. So before we pick up the telephone, or call the meeting, or create the priority list, or form the crisis management plan, or crisis management team, we must fall on our knees and ask for God's help. Because really, we don't have any other place to turn. Let's just settle that in our souls right now. So when Things come, we don't try to do that which we know we can't do. And we seek the one who we know can't. And when he does meet us, we need to be reminded of Daniel's example because he deserves our thanks and praise. God deserves our thanks and praise because at the end of this prayer, he says to you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise for you have given me wisdom and might and have made known to me what was asked of you for you have made known to us the king's matter. So he's thanking God for getting the vision. But remember the context right here. Daniel knows what what the interpretation is, but Nebuchadnezzar doesn't. And if he gets honked off in the middle of the night and sends his guards in a little early, Daniel's going to die. So you would think he's got the interpretation of the dream. I'm going to go right now, and I'm going to go really quick, and I'm going to tell him, God gave me the thing. Throw the things off. Let's go. Let's go tell him. Because we're saved. No, he stops and he thanks God. He acknowledges God. He shows gratefulness to God. He's not like the uh, the 10 lepers in uh, the Gospel of Luke who Jesus healed and nine of them took off and only one stayed and thanked Jesus let us not be too eager to get on with life that we forget where the provision or the healing comes from. When we praise in our hearts, no matter how deep is the darkness, though which we must walk, our hands are in God's hands. He will not let us go. He has not departed. He's the one who, who answers prayer he's the one who is working when the bottom falls out he's the one who extends mercy and god then uses us to reveal his truth to the world it wasn't it didn't just stop here god answers daniel's prayer and then it's comfy God answers the prayer so that Daniel can now go on and live a comfortable life. God's doing a whole lot more than just helping our lives to be comfortable. God brings deliverance for Daniel for a purpose, to bring glory and praise to his name. So even as God comes and meets you in your trial and takes you out of that or is used that, he's going to use that, even if it's hard, even if you're still walking through it, he's going to use it to bring glory to his name. Because God used Daniel, first off, to save those who rejected God. I mean, look at verse 24, what Daniel says after he thanks God, he says he goes to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. My guess is he didn't seem to be like a friendly guy. You know, he's the one in charge of killing everyone. That's who he goes to. And he went and said to him, do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me before the king and I will show the king the interpretation he saves those who had rejected God with their crafty, magical arts. He doesn't go and say, no, let's just save my three friends and me. No, don't, don't go kill anyone because I've got a message to share. And you have a message to share. And functionally, God is going to use you in the same way to see others saved from eminent and eternal destruction when you share with them the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So there were some who were saved that day. Their lives were saved. We have the opportunity to share a message in which their eternity is saved. So God used Daniel to save those who rejected, and God's going to use you to be the means of grace where others are going to get saved who are currently rejecting God. And then his trust wasn't in him. His trust was in the God who reveals mysteries. Look at verse 27. Daniel answered the king. So after he went, Daniel answered the king and said, no wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay on the bed are these To you, O king, as you lay in the bed, came thoughts of what would be after this. And he who reveals mysteries has made known to you what is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have, more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be made known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. Daniel doesn't take credit. No one can do this. God's the one that reveals the truth. So as you go to share the gospel, you don't rely on your own abilities. Daniel, who was given the ability to interpret dreams and visions, who was given the wisdom uh, 10 times more than others, says, "I, I didn't do it. God did it. The gospel is said to be the power of God unto salvation to those who believe. Not you, the messenger, is so amazing that some will believe if you have a good crafty speech. No, you share the gospel and that's the message. And God is the one who's going to reveal to them. The Holy Spirit's job is the one to go and convict. You don't have to bring conviction. You don't have to heap up condemnation. You don't have to stand on a street corner and tell people that they're going to hell. You can graciously tell them God has revealed this to me. As God, as Paul shared that God had revealed to him the message of the gospel, this mystery was revealed to him and this mystery is revealed to you and you can share it with others and God will reveal that truth to others and it won't always be easy because God called Daniel to speak the hard truth to a powerful man. We won't read all, the whole interpretation of the dream. I'd encourage you to do that this afternoon But in the midst of it, there's a highlighting of the fact that the interpretation is not one that you would think would be encouraging. Here's a guy who just wants to kill everybody when they don't don't do what he wants them to do. He's a guy who conquered their kingdom and Daniel gets the interpretation and thanks God for it. And this is what the interpretation is. Um, Your kingdom is going to fall. And then this other kingdom is going to take over your kingdom. And then there's another kingdom that's going to take over that kingdom. And then there's another one after that that's going to take over that kingdom. He's got to go share the bad news with Nebuchadnezzar. We know from history that these kingdoms were likely the Medo-Persian kingdom that would take over Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom. And then after that, the Greeks uh, that were an empire of great strength would take over that kingdom, and then they'd be succeeded by Rome. But the truth was embarrassingly clear. Eventually, Nebuchadnezzar, all this that you have possessed and built will be destroyed and scattered like chaff into the wind. That's, that's what's going to happen. And that's the message that Daniel's got to go tell the king. And that's what it feels like when we have to go share the gospel with people because we can't just go say God loves you, which is absolutely true. We must tell them the bad news. We must tell them the bad news that if they don't turn and follow Jesus. If they don't repent of their sins, they will face an eternity without God in a place that Jesus describes as a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. The call to follow Christ is not a call to live a wonderful uh, life here in this world that's pleasurable and prosperous. No, it's a call to sacrifice. It's a call to take up your cross and follow Jesus. That's the call. It's a hard call, but it's a true call. And it's what God calls us to do and calls us to share with others that they would follow Jesus. We're to go and make disciples, right, of all nations and teach them to obey all that Jesus commands and it's a hard word sometimes, but it's a good word. And we can trust God in doing his work. But if you're here this morning and, you, and you've and you not trusted in Jesus, or if you're watching online and you've never trusted in Jesus, I want to encourage you to consider Nebuchadnezzar's life for just a minute. He was literally on top of the world. He had power and dominion. You may have desires and dreams for advancement or making money or or doing well in this athletic event or this academic uh, thing that you want to do. You may want to establish your own little kingdom, but be sobered by this story. Because Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom was destroyed. And your kingdom will not last. Not gold or silver or bronze or even iron can stand up against God's eternal king. So please trust in Christ today. Friends, share that message. The time is fulfilled as it says in Mark and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. God's gonna call you to share this news with people that you won't believe God could change, but God does because God used Daniel and and God changed the hearts of others. Look at verse 46 and 47. Then King Nebuchadnezzar, fell upon his face and he paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, truly your God is God of gods and Lord of lords and a revealer of mysteries. For you have been able to reveal this mystery. Nebuchadnezzar in that moment acknowledged God because Daniel was faithful to share the message that God had given him. And you will have same experience. The person who trusts in God fears no bad news. And so we boldly proclaim God's good news. Daniel was such a man. And in our day, those of us who know the person who God made flesh can and must be such men and women too. Because the reality is, is the story doesn't end here. In verse 49... So even though Daniel is given honors, look at verse 48. Then The king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over the wise men of Babylon. So he's, he's got even a greater position of influence now. This could be like, oh, this is awesome. This is the end of the story. Daniel made a request of the king, and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained At the king's court. He's still, he's still in exile. That's where Daniel is. How did Daniel have hope? because of something that he articulated in the, in the interpretation of the dream. It's that God is going to establish another kingdom. Actually, God will establish a better kingdom. That's a truth we need to take to the bank. We need to take it home with us. Even though he remained in the king's court, even though he was delivered. He was still in exile, but his hope was not in a temporary answer. His hope was in the future deliverance that we find in verse 44. Because after he tells them about all the things that are going to happen to all the kingdoms, and in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all of these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. That is speaking of the kingdom that Christ will usher in. That is the kingdom in which we find citizenship. That is the hope that we have. Though we know God meets us in the midst of the bottom falling out. Though we know God answers prayers and we can expect him to meet us and answer those prayers. The answer to that prayer is not the greatest hope that we have. The greatest hope that we have is that a kingdom is coming that will be like no other. A kingdom is coming that will have no end. A kingdom is coming that will be established, that will never be affected by evil rulers, or those trying to overthrow, or viruses, or sicknesses, or none of that. One pastor said, despite current hardships and heartaches, the greatest thing possible in all creation has occurred already. Jesus shattered the powers of Satan by taking the penalty for our sins on himself at Calvary. Then our Savior rose in victory over death, showing that he had defeated sin's power. As believers, we are forgiven. We need not live under guilt. We are children of the King, and awaiting us is the full flowering of his heavenly kingdom, where there shall be no more tears and trials. He holds us in the palm of his hand, and there is nothing that will occur in your life or mine that God will not work out for our good and his ultimate glory. This is adequate reason for us to praise him when the trials of life swirl around us like the suds around that mom and they seem like they're going on and on. So in closing, maybe, maybe your problem is finances. Maybe you're struggling in your marriage. Maybe someone you love is suffering some kind of illness, or you just feel crushed by the weight of the stress in your life, or perhaps something else has gone wrong that that truly is so deeply painful, you have trouble even acknowledging it. We can take, we can take baby steps. You can start by just thinking of one good thing in your life right now. Just think of one good thing that God has done in your life right now. And if you can't think of one, don't leave the property here today before going to someone in your small group and saying, I can't think of one because there, there are things there right now. And then if you have the energy, think of something that God has done in the past praise him for it. And then lastly, thank the Lord for what good things he will do in your life in the future. Don't believe the lie. God's God's done with me right now. This is happening because God must be done with me. If you're still breathing, God is not done with you yet. God answers prayer. He's working in the midst of your suffering. He's not done with the witness that you will be to others. Because he's there. He was there for Daniel and for all the saints of old and for the saints of today and the saints who will become saints who trust in Jesus until we are all with him and we see him face to face. So just take one step. See where God is working. Know he is there. And know that you can go to him when the bottom falls out. Let's pray. Father, I don't want to quickly rush on. In fact, right now, Father, as we as we are seated here, I ask God that you would meet those who are feeling an overwhelming weight. And would they sense your presence right now? They feel such a weight that I don't want to call on others even to acknowledge them because The shame of knowing they're struggling could be overwhelming. And I pray God, whether at home or here, that they would know your presence right now. That they would be reminded of these amazing truths we've learned about you in your word right now. Father, I ask... that you would prepare our hearts for when the bottom does fall out that the first place we go is to our knees and not to the list. Lord, I know you will give us wisdom as we pray. Let's not try to generate our wisdom. I've wasted too many hours generating my own wisdom, and I ask God that you would help us to seek your face because in your presence is where we find mercy and grace and help in our time of need, and I pray, God, that we would experience that, that that would be the practice and encouragement of this faith family. And we need to do that before we leave. God, help us to do that before we leave. If we need to do that when we get home with our families, let us do that and cry out to you. God, would that happen whenever we gather in small groups together, that we would cry out to you, the God of mercy, so you could send your mercy, not just for the relief of our pain, but for the bringing of your glory to those who desperately need to hear about Christ. So I ask God that you would work in our midst. We ask this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Lakeshore Sermon Podcast. Harvest Lakeshore exists to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. For more information about us, visit harvestlakeshore.org.